Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day, the greatest sports section in the history of man. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Oh, I got introduced first. Wow. What a what a I just, day. I, I, I momentarily was the heat got to me or something, and I and I, I think I messed up. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great, Kevin. It's great to be here with you. And you alone, nobody else here with us. <laughs> That's not true. We have our old pal David Moore back from Alaska. He's been back for a while, though. We, we've already talked about that. I would like to amend your opening statement. I would say the greatest in the history of man and woman. Thank oh, you. Oh, man and woman, well, you're woman right. Woman and man. Woman and man, yeah. Would be a yeah. better way to phrase it. Yeah. But Womania. You Can I call it that? Womania. <laughs> Um. Yeah, you're right. Very good. Very good. I, I, I occasionally need an editor. Uh, <laughs> once every two or three years, I need an editor. How about if we just say humankind? Okay. Can I just humankind? Because it's not kind. Because humans are not kind. That's why <laughs> we can't say that. I think it's a that's lesson. True. It's a lesson from these days. Uh, so uh, we've got a lot of things uh, going on right now, which is kind of hard to believe because it's been such a hot summer. It's make me. It uh, makes my brain fry a little bit, and I have a hard time thinking of things, even harder than usual. Uh, but there is a lot of stuff going on here. And the we got the Rangers. We've we've got uh, David started cooking up something on the Cowboys and the Ring of Honor. We'll talk about that in a little while, and also uh, we'll we'll talk a little golf uh, and getting all that in as well. The British Open is starting this week, uh, but starting out here, we want to talk about the Rangers, who are once again creeping up. On 500. Evan, is this time, are they going to go over or not? Listen, this is, this month was the opportunity, right? I mean, once they got through with the, with the Mets, they had 28 of 31 games against teams that at that point in time were below 500. But as we sit here, the Seattle Mariners have gotten very, very hot. And as we saw in Baltimore, um, it was the start of a very hot streak for the Baltimore Orioles. And so (laughs) I don't know if the Rangers can get the 500 or not. I have my doubts that this is a 500 team. I think it's a it's a better team than last year. Whether that's a 15 win better than 60, or whether it's 20 wins better than 60, I, I don't know. Um, but the good the good things are that right now Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon finally seem to be getting hot at the same time, and that's made the offense a lot more dynamic. Uh, Josh Smith has added an entirely different dynamic to the offense with his on-base capabilities and 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 really that kind of spark plug thing that the Rangers have lacked. Uh, but on the negative side, you know, I think we're starting to see more and more cracks in the rotation. Martin Perez and John Gray have carried this a long way. Now we, we, we've seen that the four and five spots are really, really vacant and 
Dane Dunning is now out in the number three spot and hadn't been, quite frankly, hadn't been great in the number three spot for a while. I just don't know how long they can they can tread water with two starters, both of whom seem to be achieving either at the top or above the top of their ceilings. Yeah, I think that's the big issue for me here for John Daniels. It's it's not a you know, everybody thinks that you make deals at the deadline so you can compete. Uh, and obviously that's that's the primary issue of it, but it is, has been obvious in the last few years. You can still make deals like that if you're somewhat competitive, but also to try to carry you through the, the, the rest of the year and then into seasons past that. If you can get a controllable pitcher, which I think the Rangers definitely have to do, then I think you need to go out and do that. Now, obviously, you, you're not backed into a corner. You're not going to be giving up prospects that you don't want to give up uh, to do that kind of thing. Uh, that would be foolish. But they do have a log jam in the middle infield uh, of prospects. They've got two guys who are supposedly going to be here a long time. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering at this point, you brought up Josh Smith. What are they going to do with him? When, when, when Josh Young finally gets here, uh, which it looks like, as you noted the other day, he might actually be a little ahead of schedule, right? I, I have a potential lineup for you, Kevin. You got a lineup for me? Yeah, I wrote it. I wrote it all down on this little, very tiny piece of paper. Um, <laughs> but you could, there, you could envision, and this is this may come as a little bit of a surprise to people when I run through this very quickly. You could envision this in the future, and I'll just say, Dustin Harris was named to the uh, futures game today as a replacement. So we'll start at first base with Dustin Harris, who's Seager been playing in the outfield, right? He's playing in the outfield, but he's also – I think he's a more natural first baseman than he is an outfielder. Um, Harris at first, Simeon at second, Seager at short, Young at third. In the outfield – and I've run this by a couple of people. You could envision an outfield that has Ezekiel Duran in left, Josh Smith in center, and Leody Tavares in right field. Now, obviously, it doesn't include that, – that plan doesn't include Adolis Garcia – Adolis has two years of experience at the end of this year. I'm just not sure long-term if Adolis is going to be able to stick. If the, if, if the league will figure him out eventually and, and, and he'll be exposed. But if not, Adolis is a great right fielder and you can move one of those guys into kind of a part-time DH role. And then that leaves you the possibility of the very, the very intriguing possibility that Nathaniel Lowe, who is looking better and better as a hitter, becomes more of a full-time DH. And then of course you'd have Huff and Heim behind behind the plate. That's that's a that's a young and fairly exciting lineup for the Rangers. It doesn't address pitching though. And, no. and so a, I think there's a way to get all these guys in the lineup, but you still we still have to talk about pitching. And, and, and how's that lineup defensively? How does that look defensively? Um, I, I think that that lineup would be fine defensively, to be honest with you. I, I, I think neither Harris nor Lowe is a great defensive first baseman. We've seen Simeon and Seeger. I think there have been some rough spots early on, but they have seemed to make some improvements as a double play combination. Uh, I, 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 I haven't seen Young play at the big league level, and so we'll just have to see how his clock is. But this is a guy who I think is – is pretty mentally capable of, of handling the jump and in, in speed of the game. And the athletes in the outfield, I think, would be fine. I, I think Josh Smith, quite frankly, would be adequate anywhere you want to put him on the diamond. Leody is, is, is an elite defensive outfielder. The question, I think, would be, can Duran handle the move to the outfield? 
All right, let me ask you this about uh, about Corey Seager. Now, when the Rangers signed him to that gargantuan contract, they knew what they were getting as a shortstop. It's not a great shortstop, probably not even an average shortstop. Uh, the other the other day, uh, and I can't remember which game this was. I think it was was it Sunday. Uh, there was a ball hit, and uh, it looked like a double play. Uh, now the ball it, it was when Dane Dunning was pitching, and he got several ground balls that inning, and all of them got through. Uh, no, he didn't lay out for it. I don't recall that I have seen Corey Seager lay out for a ball this year. Well, I think part of that is that he's taller than your average shortstop, and so his range and his wingspan is a little bit greater. But, yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I just think the thing for Seager is, like, there's a wider like a wider spectrum of plays. Like, we see on the negative side – we some see some average balls, some really routine balls that seem to get that seem to get booted. But we've also seen him go really deep into the hole and show some some great athleticism. So I, I think that when you narrow all that down, he basically becomes an average shortstop, maybe even like you said, Kevin, a tick below average. But the the, the troubling part is you just don't know which guy you're going to get that day. Um, yeah. And I, I listen. There's no doubt that a guy who is uh, 28 now and signed a 10 year deal, he's not going to be playing shortstop in 10 years. Where along the line he moves somewhere else, I think is still to be determined. But it's certainly not going to be in 23 or 24. Well, I will say this: one of the complaints about uh, from the you know the analytics guys when Corey uh, signed that contract uh, was that well, okay, he's a really good hitter, but he's not really that much of a power hitter, you know. Uh, well, the, he's kind of uh, uh, laid all that now, right? He's got 20 home runs. He's on, on his pace way to, for 35 home runs, career high. Uh, I would say he's going to get more than 35. Because remember how slow he started. Yeah. Uh, so he didn't really start all that slow home well, run he, wise. He, he he started he started pretty hot, and then he got slow. He kind of backed off. I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit 40. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think 40 is is out of the question if he stays healthy. But look, the guy's career high is 26, and and he's on pace now for above 35. So if he ends up somewhere between 35 and 40, I don't think anybody's going to complain a, a, about that. And no. you know, based on on how he's hitting right now, if he's found a, a a a visual that will allow him to get hot for a little while here, you're going to see a big tick up in the average and the OPS and I think what the Rangers have said all along is at the end of the year, it's all going to be there. You'd like it to be a little bit more consistent, but I think at the end of the year, you're going to look up and Seager's numbers are going to be pretty close to what Seager's numbers have been. All right, let's switch over to the draft before we have to get out of this segment of our podcast. Well, before we get, I just think before we switch over to the draft, we do need to address the elephant in the room, which is what do you do with the trade deadline? Like you said, do you go out and get a controllable pitcher? Are you willing to give up collateral? for a controllable pitcher in terms of inventory. And there is some depth in middle infield because of guys like Justin Foskey there. Or do you say that you're going to add pitching and free agency regardless of what the price is? And I'm still not sure which is which is the more um, attractive route for the Rangers right now. But I think if anybody's still got any questions, this team is going to look to be opportunistic at this deadline and they're going to look to add, whether it's a controllable starting pitcher or a controllable position player, they're going to look to add. Anything they'd peel off would be very, very minor at this point. 
Well, I, I don't think there's any question you have to add pitching. I mean, they, they uh, I don't, I don't see the point. They're, they're scoring a lot of runs. That's the one thing they're, they're not getting on base enough. They're not drawing enough walks. But they're uh, scoring runs lately, yeah. For they're sure. scoring runs. They're hitting home runs. They're eighth in the league in home runs. So the, they got a lot. They got plenty of power. As a matter of fact, see, I wouldn't have a problem for them if you want to deal uh, uh, Brad Miller and uh, Cole Calhoun at this point, Charlie Culberson, any one of those guys you want to put in a package. They're not. I mean, that have to be in a package. They're not going to draw you anything. They're not going to draw anything. Um, no, but if you want to put some, those guys in a package with Justin Foscue, you know, something like that, then that's fine. You just have to get up. To me, you have to get some pitching just to stop the leaks. It's like this is like a house with bad plumbing and it's leaking all over the place. You you just got to fix this, you know, because it, it, it's depressing for the rest of the team. It's playing well. It's established some momentum now. You're moving forward. You have an opportunity here to be a 500 team, and that is a big improvement over last year. And so those are those are good things. I think the thing that you're going to go out and sign two uh, starting pitchers in the in this winter sounds a little far fetched. I think you need. Does to- it sound any more far fetched than you would go out and sign two middle infield two well, shortstops in one winter? That was as far fetched as you could possibly get. So, but that's that's the thing. They do need two starting pitchers because there's not anybody on the way. I don't believe in Spencer Howard. You know, I, I, I I'm starting to lose my belief in Dane Dunning. Uh, you know, they've, they've already given up on, on, uh, on Hearn. So that's, that's three guys that they were kind of really counting on. And, and so far they're getting, starting to get zip. On uh, of the just, player of the players on this roster. Now, what is the top level of talent you would be willing to give up in order to get that controllable pitcher for the remainder of this season? Well, I mean, and, and David, you're not looking for a, a for just the rest of the season, right? It's going to have to be somebody that you well, have yeah, under control. Yeah, go into for. next year. Yeah, year and a half at least, I would say. So, I mean, I, I think you're looking at, at the top prospects that you would probably be willing to give up have got to be at least Justin Foscue and, and Cole Wynn in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, 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 the problem here is that it's a double-edged sword because the starting pitching hasn't been great. You would have hoped that Cole Wynn – would be an option for your rotation at some point in time this year. He hasn't taken that step forward. So has he lost value on the trade market as well? Foscue has been a little bit banged up, and so there's going to be some questions about that because he's limited at second base anyway. So I I don't know if those are guys who can absolutely front a trade for what's going to be a competitive market for controllable starting pitching. All right. We need to get into this before we get out of the Rangers segment. With the third pick, this has suddenly become to me a very intriguing pick. It, it, at one point, it looked like, well, it'll probably be Elijah Green, who was who was projected as the number one. Uh, it never, it, it, let me just say this: if you told me last year that it would be Elijah Green at number three, I think everybody in the Rangers organization would have done happy dances, right? So Absolutely. the fact that Elijah Green might be there at three is a big turn of events. Go it ahead. is a big turn of events, and but now we're seeing that uh, he has struggled uh, with not only chasing pitches but missing pitches in the strike zone, which to me is about as troubling as you can say about any hitter if he's missing pitches in the strike zone. Uh, and this is what he shapes up as for the Rangers at this point, if he is still their guy at number three, and he's not going to go with those first two picks, I don't think, from all accounts, is that the classic Ranger selection would he not be guy all upside tremendous athlete got all these things going for him but he's not let me I mean let me sum it up this way I I think based on everything I'm hearing that if Jackson Holiday were to be available at number three that would be the the 
the most desirable pick. So give I us give us the, give us your top five guys, Evan, right now. I think the top five guys in my mind in the draft are, and, and I'm not saying in any particular order, but Jackson Holiday, Drew Jones, obviously the sons of big leaguers, Elijah Green, Tamar Johnson, and you can either go with Kevin Parada, the catcher from Georgia Tech, or maybe Brooks Lee, the shortstop from Cal Poly. Okay. Uh, I, I, I will just say this. I mean, the, here's the question, I think, w- w- in what's realistic. I think it's very possible that you're going to have these two second-generation players go one and two in some order. So if you're the Rangers now, all of a sudden you're left choosing from the likes of Green, Tamar Johnson, and, uh, and Parada or Lee. For me, you know, if, if Elijah Green taps into and maximizes all of his talents, this is a kind of franchise-changing player, right? He's he is a he is a legitimate franchise player. From everything I've heard and from everything I've read, Tamar Johnson might be the best bat in the entire draft. So, do you bet on what you think is maybe the safer thing and a guy who might be limited to second base, or do you bet on a more risky center fielder um, type in, in Elijah Green who may end up? Who, who, if he reaches his his uh, his ceiling, it may be the best player in the draft. That I think is the thing the Rangers really need to drill down on over these final three days leading into it. And I think that very well may be how they have to make their choice. That's to me is is this not Donald Harris and Frank Thomas all over again? You know, I I would just say that, and and, and that obviously Kevin that predated me. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't covering drafts at that point in time. I, I don't know, but it would be hard for me to, um, yeah. I mean, Frank Thomas was an, was a very advanced hitter and Donald Harris was a center fielder and people, people valued the fact that he was an athletic center fielder over a guy who was going to be limited to first base. Um, I think if there's anything that we, that we should learn at this point in time, it's how valuable hitting is in this game. Yeah. And it does have at least equal value to athleticism because if you're a hitter, you're going to hit. If you're an athlete, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to mature into a hitter. I think I think that's to me the, the thing that it seems to me the Rangers have finally learned, and they did with by drafting these college players in the last few years uh, with their with their top picks, is that we have to take a sure thing with this first pick. You can't. Well, now you're, you you're cannot, talking about yeah. three kids who are all high school players, right? That, that's that's true. There's no question about that, and that that in and of itself is enough of a leap, right? But if you really believe this guy, his hitting tool is so great that he he can't miss. Then you, to me, you have to take that guy. It's, it's a little bit like the Mark Teixeira draft, you know, when the the Rangers only got him because he, you know because of his agent and because he fell, he slipped. But he was a sure hitter, and now, of course he was a college player, and that was a that was a different situation. But you were sure that he was going to hit. To me, if I'm going to guess on one of these kind of guys, and I think that that if his, it, it looks like a guy who's swing and miss a lot with Elijah Green. If Tamar Johnson really is that really good of a hitter and people really do believe in him that much. I got to go with that. Well, and I, I'll just leave it with this. I talked to Elijah and I'm going to do a little story on Elijah leading into Sunday. Talked to his dad, Eric green, who was really fascinating. The, the former pro bowl tight end. Um, but the one thing that, that Elijah really did do after last year and the summer showcase last year, when the swing and miss issue was raised is he eliminated a big leg kick and, and he realized 
on his own that he could generate enough power without the big leg kick. And the strikeout percentage did fall pretty significantly this year. I mean, it was there were still you would 21 strikeouts and 105 plate appearances is still a, a 20% strikeout rate and that's that's not great, but it was it was 30 the year before. So that it's it's a it's a big drop down. Yeah. And very quickly for for like listeners of this podcast who might be saying why aren't you guys talking about any pitchers in this group? Why are you only talking hitters? It's, this seems to be a rare draft where you may not even have a pitcher in the top 10, which is really unheard of. Yeah, it's it's a high school hitter draft. It, 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 that's just what where the top of the draft is driven is with, with high school hitters this year. I'm not sure why that, why that is. I, I don't know if the pandemic and and stacking things all had something to do with that but yeah it, it is it is a high school hitter driven draft and and the top pitcher that was going to be in the draft was Dylan Lesko from uh outside of Atlanta and he tore his his, his elbow ligament uh at the start of the season so that took one of your your top pitching prospects out and you could have what only one maybe two college players go in the top 8 to 10 and that so you could have you could and have that adds to the unex, you know the the you know the the volatile nature of who you're picking here up top the unpredictability yeah you could have four sons of former big leaguers go in the top 10 and 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 maybe one or two uh college players it's, it's a really weird draft all right, that's going to take us out of our Rangers segment. Now we're going to move over to the Cowboys, and we're going to talk about a, a story that, that David wrote for the weekend for Sunday about the uh, the Hall of Honor, the Ring of Honor, excuse me, not the yeah, Hall the, of Honor. The other end of the spectrum. We go from talking about guys who will be taken in the draft and what they can do coming out of high school to guys who haven't played in 20 and 25 years, and we're talking about they should be recognized. Yeah, I think that's the that. story of the Rangers and the Cowboys right now. The Rangers are always looking towards the future, and unfortunately the Cowboys are always looking, looking towards the past. the past. And it sums it up, doesn't it, in that transition? Well, at least they've done something. Uh, so let's uh, let, let's talk about that. So, David, give us a breakdown, on uh, first of all, on the, the specific players that you talked about that Jerry Jones should be considering for the Ring of Honor. Well, the, the point I made here, and this is to narrow the focus, was, you know, Everyone fixates on Jimmy Johnson. Why isn't he in there? Jerry has stated publicly that he is going to go in. Uh, it's just a matter of when. Uh, still, with the relationship between those guys, I think he's going to make him wait a while. But oh, yeah. uh, my my point on all this was, you know, from this from this latest generation, you know, Jimmy Johnson's going to go in. You know, Jason Witten's going to go in. You know, Demarcus Ware is going to go in. And you know Tony Romo are going to go in. You can just tell by everything the Jones family has said, those four players and head coach, in the case of Jimmy Johnson, are going to go in. My point was, before you even get to that, and those are given for going in the ring of honor, you should go back and clean up some of the greatest oversights. And... In, in talking to, I, I didn't do a formal poll and specifically ask players this, but over the last uh, several years, when I've talked to Ring of Honor players, when I've talked to former uh, coaches or officials in the organization or, or longtime observers in the organization, just kind of casually asked, well, what what players who are not in the Ring of Honor do you believe should be there? Because everyone has a little bit different list, right? But but in doing that over recent years, 
five names kept coming back repeatedly as far as the what current Ring of Honor members, uh, past club officials believe to be the greatest oversights in the Ring of Honor. And those five players, and I'll list them alphabetically because people get very passionate about these arguments, and I don't want them to think I'm elevating one player over another unless we do that in this segment. But the five players that kept coming up who should be in the ring of honor who aren't are Cornell Green, Ed Jones, Harvey Martin, Everson Walls, and Charlie Waters. So basically my point of what I wrote this weekend was, you know, Jerry Jones has only inducted two people into the ring of honor in the last 11 years. That was Darren Woodson and, and Gil Brandt. And on three separate occasions, he's had a group or a cluster of players go in. It hasn't just been a single induction. Um, Do I think he's going to do a class with five players and put them in at one time? Probably not. But I I would argue that Jerry Jones should address the senior class, if you will, uh, clean it up as much as he's going to, whether that means two players, three players, whatever clean that up, and then get it up to date and then come back to the, the present day going forward as far as his inductions. Uh, let me just say that as a, as a voting member or nominating, or I guess a nominating member of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, we had the same issue all the time. Of, yeah. God, for, of course, we're, Hall of Fame does. Yeah, you do all the time. Yeah. You you have, you know, like in, in I, several years ago, I said, what we need to do is go around and look into every – professional sports hall of fame and see who's in that hall of fame. And if they're from Texas uh, and we feel like they have, uh, have established ties to Texas, then we need to get them in our own uh, case in point was there are, I believe four Negro league hall of famers who are not in the Texas sports hall of fame. And, uh, and I said, we just need to put them all in at once. Let's just one, one deal. And let's get that cleaned up. Cause you're right. If you leave these people in the past, they will never get in. Because time will go by, and, and you know Jerry will want to have his own guys in there. I think you know we have these numbers here that there are uh, 22 people in the Texas sport. I mean, I'm sorry, in the in the Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, and Jerry has put in 14 of them. Uh, and yeah, I think I was I, actually wrong. I think it's 15. Yeah, 15. I think I miscounted. I, so, so it's more than two thirds of the Ring of Honor he's put in, and he has he has put in players from uh, the the Tech Shram, Clint Murkison era. You know. Right. Um, Seven of them, I believe, is what you yeah. said. Is that right? So that's that's nearly half of the and that sounds really fair. But what you have to consider is, is that uh, they the Cowboys had quite a history before before yeah. Jerry Jones got there. And these are some really great players. And, and in my mind, what you have proposed is exactly what they should do. I, I know in, in talking to people over the years, you know, John Wooten, who played in the league and worked for the Cowboys as a scout and personnel and other things, his long campaign with me to get uh, you know cornell green into the hall of fame uh, and he's not alone i i would tell you when i talk to people cornell green's name is usually the first one that comes up as far as an outstanding player who didn't receive the recognition he deserved and, and this goes beyond the ring of honor it's just like that that's the best player that i played with uh that you don't hear much about or you don't hear enough about, I don't want to say much, you know, don't hear enough about. Cornell Green usually tops that list. Now, in saying that, you know, Ed Jones and Harvey Martin are a little higher on that list. Everyone kind of knows about them. But but as far as, as players who 
really earned the respect of their teammates and their peers in that era who you don't hear discussed much. Cornell Green is always at the top of the list when I talk to those players from that era. Yeah, yeah. I would I would say as the as the relative outsider on all of that, the the, the two guys who stand out for me are are Harvey Martin and Ed Jones um, mm-hmm. as, as being you know foundational parts of the of the great seventies defenses. Um, I, I do want to just say this though, I, if you look at the Ring of Honor, right? The, the Ring of Honor was started in '75, and between '75 and the time that Jerry took over, 15 years, seven players went into the Ring of Honor. About one every two years, on average. Jerry's owned this team 30 or 31 years now, David. Right? That's a lot. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> 89. Uh, yeah, he took over. And there's years. been 15 players. There's been 15 players inducted. So it's again, it's about one every two years. The, the, the thing is, as you said, we've had one induction since 2018. Uh, or that was Bill Brandt. Was that wasn't one, a player. Was induction. Yeah. Right. So Only one player in the last 11 years. Yes. It, it's time for, 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 some more, for some more inductions to, to be made. And I, I, it does feel like to me that you can't go forward with guys who were part of this generation of Cowboys teams that did not get to the Super Bowl without honoring those guys who won Super Bowls like Harvey Martin and, and Ed Jones. Well, well again, yeah, Harvey better- Martin was the defensive player of the year. Yeah. You know, Harvey Martin, now this stat isn't official, but he had 23 sacks in 1977 before NFL recognized stats as a statistic. He did that in 14 games. Michael Strahan had 22 and a half sacks in 16 games 21 years later. So, uh, and he was a, a Super Bowl MVP. Um, you know, all of these players, Ed, jo- you know, I think Ed Jones was more consistent than Harvey Martin. Harvey Martin was more of a, a of an impact player. Yeah. Um, you know, Charlie Waters never losing season when he was on the field, uh, went to, you know, was part of five Super Bowl teams, won two of them. And the, he still has nine postseason interceptions. No player in NFL history has more. So he came up big in big games. You know, we started talking about Everson Walls this year, and Everson Walls did make the senior committee uh, this cut uh, for the Hall of Fame uh, that uh, discussions are underway for Canton. Um, So he's back in that class for consideration. But, you know, we were talking about him this year because Trayvon Diggs had 11 interceptions. Well, that's the most interceptions in a single season in the NFL in 40 years since Everson Walls had 11 interceptions as a rookie. Uh, and then, like I said, Cornell Green, who, um, you know, was taken in the fifth round of the draft in 1962 by the Chicago Zephyrs of the NBA, uh, was not drafted, didn't play college football and, uh, came in and, and, uh, you know, was part of a Super Bowl team winning team and, uh, actually played in 145 consecutive games. Uh, you know, a mark that Jason Witten would later break, uh, but was just uh, w- one of the best corners uh, of his of his generation. Kevin, uh, what, you're you're older than dirt, so yeah. Um, which, if you had to pick two of those five, which would you go with? Oh, I'd put Cornell in for sure, and I would put look. Look, here's the way I look at it now. These guys of the five you just mentioned, uh, Harvey has passed. Obviously, he's been dead now for twenty years. The other four are still alive. A couple of them not doing great. Uh, and I think that has to be consideration here. How long are you going to make these guys wait? Uh, this would be – some of them are hanging on – I'm not saying they're hanging on to get into the to the ring of honor, but that is an issue here. So, obviously, yes, I would put Cornell Green in for sure. I would put Ed Jones in for sure. 
Uh, and then the, the other guys, I, I would I would want to get them in as well. I think they all five deserve to be in the, in the ring of honor. I, I, I do, though, if I can only get two, I'm going to take those two right away. All right. Well, thank I, thank you for I, I just needed we needed the aged person's perspective. Well, I, I'm glad you feel that way about it. Um, and, you know, we have a sports day. Uh, Ask him again no, in five minutes. Oh, he may give us two other guys. That's a good oh, point. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> David, who was like, what, two years younger than me? <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, uh, that's uh, well, it's, it's always fun to talk about these things. We always like to talk about Hall of Fame and, and who should be in and who's, who shouldn't be in and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, it is, a to me, a big deal when these guys are still alive. Let's get them in the Hall of Fame. Let's not make them come up there you know with a, a cane or uh in a wheelchair let's let's let them enjoy this while they can it's it's a it's a great honor They'll, those guys earned it god bless them they probably earned it more so than anybody else from any other era in the football and players I, i'll just left. say this as a as a baseball hall of fame voter you know i've softened over over the years i, I think that the, the game and and these things these honors they're for the fans they're not they're not for us to be like these these overzealous guardians. Fans want to appreciate these players, and we do need more of a sense of history, right? I mean, we're losing our sense of history everywhere around the country. And so if you can honor guys who legitimately made significant impacts to this franchise, take advantage of that. Yeah. Well, there's, and there's been plenty. Nobody could argue with any of these guys. That's the thing for me. Uh, you, you can't argue with, with any of them, but I, I could rank them. And, uh, and I think the first two I said, then I'd have Harvey third uh, and then Everson fourth and, and Charlie fifth. And that's how I would have them if, uh, if you were asking me to do that. So I'll just, I, and it's just weird to me that from um, the, the, uh, the, the perspective, again, from an outsider's perspective in the seventies, growing up as a kid, Waters and Harris were almost inseparable, and yet, you know, Cliff is a Hall of Famer, and and, and Charlie's not. So they were inseparable, uh, and uh, but now people would tell you that, that that Cliff redefined the position, and that's that's the difference between the the two of them. Uh, he yeah. was he was, a and Cliff will tell you player. he helped redefine the position because he had so much faith in Charlie handling his job that it gave him a little more freelance capabilities than he would have had otherwise. And that's the same thing, too, at the ends of, of Harvey and, and Tutal. Sure. What David mentioned earlier was the fact that because Tutal was getting double teamed so much that that allowed uh, Harvey a little more freedom uh, yes, on, on the other side. So uh, and, and I got to tell you, I, I, I talk about what shape these guys are in. I saw uh, Tutal last summer. My gosh, he looks like he could go out and play right now. It's unbelievable. He's still so imposing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, and he's he's, he's slim, you know, and he and he and he's clearly in great shape. I mean, just unbelievable. He looks like he's thirty five years old. It's unbelievable. Anyway, all right, that's going to do it for our uh, cowboy segment of the podcast. And now we're going to move to the ever popular potpourri. And in this potpourri, is it got- that popular? It's, it's it's really, really popular. Popular. unbelievable. You wouldn't believe the fan mail I get for that. You wouldn't believe With the feedback. The stuff the the mailman comes and he's cussing at me because he's got this barrel of of mail uh, about this stuff. So another uh, thing that our young listeners won't identify with is mail mail mailman yeah. mailman mail person or no. potpourri either. Or, I think that's something else. Potpourri. No, they know it. Or pretty much the first. 35 minutes of this podcast, but whatever. Oh, no, no, stop it. Uh, so uh, this we is had- where you mention a black and white movie, Kevin, one of your favorite black and white movies like 
Casablanca. Or, yeah, Casablanca. That would be a good one. Yeah. You know, I, I love Casablanca. It oh, is a really go. great movie. But you know, I, I, I if I were going to mention a black and white movie, I would always probably go with Citizen Kane. Probably number one. Okay, uh, thank you for that. Yeah, you bet. Uh, so anyway, we uh, we had some golf going on this week. We've got the uh, the British Open, uh, in which Greg Norman not only was he not allowed to come back and play as a two time winner, dinner. he couldn't <laughs> even come for dinner. Don't uh, you just get this middle image of Greg Norman standing outside with his hand out, right? You know, <laughs> out the window, looking in through the window, see all these people eating and having a good time. Poor Greg Norman can't even come in for dinner. Uh, so now, and of course, now the latest story about all this is that, uh, that's apparently the, the DOJ is talking to people about investigating the PGA tour because it overstepped its bounds in, uh, with the LIV tour and, uh, proposing to ban players and that kind of stuff when in fact they are independent contractors. You know, I, I have to say in all this stuff that's come up about all that, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the PGA tour. I mean, they're making money hand over fist and, and I, I don't know how much money they're actually making uh, as opposed to what they're giving to the players and what the players are winning. And that was of course the big proposal from the LIV tour is that we're going to give you a lot more money. If you come over here, you're going to make problem a lot more is money. It's not that everybody's a, a, that nobody wants to save the PGA tour. The problem is that the LIV tour, the live love live tour is all, you know, Saudi Bay. Back. Bloody that's, money. Yeah, that that's it's a blood money tour. Well, but the thing is, it's not. No one wants to say the PGA tour, but it's not like you can say, "Oh my gosh, the PGA tour, they're they're untouchable in this." Well, they're not untouchable. You know, there's no. a lot of stuff. They a lot of things that they were trying. What you would hope would happen in all of this, it, had this been a reputable backing of the LIV tour, you know, no one. Would, I wouldn't have had a problem with it if another tour sprung up and somebody wanted to go play in it, and it wasn't backed by this kind of money. Then, sure, what the heck, you know? And then maybe you even get some things, and they leverage some things, and they get more of what they want. If they don't want to play as much, they have a shorter, you know, uh, season, and all of that. That's all well and good. That's all fine. No Nobody roots for the league corporate offices. Let's just put it that way. No, that's for sure. So, uh, and how they've Phil- interacted with the players. I mean, there's take the take how the LIV is funded out of it for a second, such a significant percentage of visible players have made this jump. It shows you how much dissatisfaction there is with the PGA tour and how it conducts its business and how it treats its, uh, its golfers. I mean, we've heard this for, for years and this is, there just hasn't been a viable option now, because of where the money comes from, some people still don't consider this a viable option. But I mean, it, it you know, the tours, the way it's treated and condescended to its players and been indifferent to what they've had to say for so long allowed this uh, to, to reach the point where it is now. And you can say, oh, no, it's just about the guaranteed money, this and that. And, and of course, you never dismiss the money. But... Uh, there was an attitude and a frustration with the top players in the tour with how uh, the PGA was conducting its business and how they were being treated. Yeah, no question about that. All right, before we get out of the po- uh, potpourri, I want to make sure we get over Wait, to the, the potpourri was one subject? No, I said before we get out of the potpourri, I want to talk about other items in the potpourri. Oh, okay. Boy, howdy, Evan. You know, keep up, would you? 
the the Mavericks are in summer league now, and which is basically it's the Jaden Hardy uh, summer league. They're, they're practically they're giving him all the shots, uh, and his first and he's game, taking him. <laughs> he's taking him. He's not shy. Let's say that about him. I don't know if he can play or not, but he's not shy. Uh, I'll give him that. Uh, in his in his first game, he was what nine of nineteen from the field. Uh, not not great. Two of seven. 28 points. Uh, I think he had 14 points in the second game, made a three-pointer at the end of the game that brought them within one, but they ended up losing. They lost both games by one point so far. Um, he, he He's not hitting a high volume. He's taking a lot of shots. He's not making them, and that's kind of been his history in that uh, that on that Ignite team he played for. Uh, he is a guy who's going to shoot a lot. We're not sure if he's going to make a lot of them. He seems to be very athletic. Uh, he can do a lot of things. He, he certainly – worth the 37th pick of the draft. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, I, I don't believe, you know, I think that some fans are thinking, oh, maybe he'll make the rotation. Uh, I just don't see that happening. I mean, Tim Hardaway's coming back. He's playing. He would be, to me, what you think that you're paying Tim Hardaway to do. Right, David? Yeah, I mean, this this is a team. Now, I know there's a lot of frustration with what they haven't done and who they've lost in this offseason, but it's still a team that went to the Western Conference Finals, and a player you take at the 37th pick when you're playing at that level is not expected to help you much in that first year. Um, the, the only way he would get in the rotation is if you have significant injuries, and now suddenly you are you find yourself in that second tier of playoff teams and you're fighting for a spot. So... Uh, this is a development year. The, the organization did not take him and say, hey, look, we need to find a role for him this year. The organization took him to say, OK, let's work on his game, build it from the ground up. And uh, maybe next year we, we can see him working into the rotation at the earliest. Yeah, I think that I think that Tim Hardaway is going into the last year of that contract, as a matter of fact. So, yeah, I think, it, you know. Next season might be a possibility. Well, you know, an Let's, example would be like a Golden State Jordan Poole. Uh, you yeah. know, he was second-round pick, didn't do much for two to three years, and now he's a, a significant part of that rotation. If Hardy could be that for the Mavericks, uh, they would be ecstatic. But again, no, that you're looking at the two- to three-year you know, developmental scale there. Especially after they haven't gotten a whole lot out of Josh Green, their first-round pick a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, he has not really turned into to much of anything so far. Uh, we'll see how that develops. Uh, we have seen uh, some uh, development here. Obviously, the the, the Mavericks did uh, obviously uh, trade for Christian Wood. We talked about that. Uh, they have they signed Javale McGee and brought him back. That didn't seem real exciting, uh, but uh, McGee was a significant uh, part of that Suns team that the that the Rangers, I mean, that the Mavericks beat, uh, which was kind of uh, funny when you think about it that way. Uh, he is credited with giving the Suns a lot of toughness uh, and bringing a little bit of edge to them, and certainly the Mavericks need that uh, in the front court. So if we look at the the lineup that the, the Mavericks started in Game 5, the loss to the Warriors, they had Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson in the backcourt. They had Dorian Finney-Smith. They had Dwight Powell, and they had Reggie Bullock. Uh, that was a small ball lineup that they had used – with great success throughout the playoffs and in really the second half of the season a lot uh, and played very well for them. Well, if you look at the projected lineup now, uh, obviously Jalen Brunson is gone and Spencer did what he takes his place in the backcourt. And then you have Dorian Finney-Smith, who is still there. Uh, but the other two stars would be JaVale McGee 
and Christian Wood. So that would be three new guys in the starting lineup. Uh, it's a much bigger lineup than the one that the Mavericks uh, played last year, especially in the backcourt because Jalen was a little short and the Spencer is about 6'5". So that gives them a little more uh, height back there and a, little, uh, and, and a little bit better, obviously a better defensive player uh, as a re- uh, result of that. But, David, I'm wondering, is it, you know, Christian was not a great defender. Uh, JaVale McGee is an okay defender. Um, basically, he's there for rebounding, and Wood is there for shooting to give them a little more offensive punch, which I, I'm all for that. But does that look like they're kind of giving up on the small ball idea and the five-out offense? No, I, I think they'll uh, – you know, the other thing to consider with JaVale McGee, he may start – But look at his age and look at where he's been the most effective over these last five to six years. It's been as a backup in a limited role. So even though he's starting, I'm not sure how many minutes he's going to get. I think you're still going to see uh, Tim Hardaway will be back in this year. Not saying he replaces Brunson, but at least he gives you that scoring potential there to uh, ease what you lose with Brunson leaving. So I, I think you're still see some small ball, but, but what you have now is you have a team that can keep a bigger lineup on the court longer, depending on the matchups and should be a better rebounding team, which was, you know, an Achilles heel of this team. Um, so I, I think with the size and there'll be a better rebounding team that usually leads to being a better defensive team. And that's what the thrust of, of Jason Kidd and what he wants to do here. So I, I don't think you're doing away with small ball at all. I think they're going to be nights where you're still a small ball team, but it just makes you more versatile. And, and especially when the playoffs roll along, when you face an opponent uh, that, that can you know, beat you down with size, you're a little bit better able to match up now than you have been. Yeah, I agree with all that. It just seems a little odd because you you did beat the Suns with JaVale McGee, you know, uh, and and DeAndre Ayton. You you beat these teams yeah. and and you showed something was going to work. In the end, there I think they just got out talented by the Warriors, uh, and that was the, the 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 one issue for me in all of this is that this Mavericks team played with a lot of heart, a lot of grit. There's a lot of things that fans love to see. Uh, they they played above their potential, I believe, or what we perceive to be their potential. You know, the, they, they got the most out of what they had. You kind of like to see that be rewarded. And it almost feels a little bit like uh, 2011 when uh, the Mavericks allowed that team to kind of yeah. come apart, uh, that it won a championship because they believe they'd caught, as Donnie Nelson told me, lightning in a bottle. Yeah. But when you talk about that, you talk about heart and grit, which is intangible. And I would say a lot of that you can trace back to Jalen Brunson, who is no longer here. So this is going to be. uh, But look, there's a reason for, you know, I I understand the consternation. But the baseline is you have Luka Doncic. You're putting players around him. Look, Christian Wood on, on the pick and roll with Luka Doncic. I mean, how that is going to open up the offense this coming year that you didn't have uh, this past year. So it's going to look different, but the, but the baseline is you can put a lot of different players around Luka Doncic and get to the same place in different ways. That's the latitude he gives you. That's what his greatness does. And this will be a different team, but I I don't know, you know, they won 52 games last year. I, if looking at this team now, I, I don't know that it's much I don't know that you would say it's not a 52-win team going into this year, even with the changes, because of Luka. 
Oh, absolutely. You would think so. And and, I, and I've made this case several times that, you know, they don't need to make great changes, just incremental changes. They certainly need to upgrade at center. You know, Dwight Powell's is pretty much a cipher on offense and, uh, and, and really not a great defensive player, you know. Uh, so I do think that there's a potential for them to add another guard. They, they do need to add a guard. Uh, they do. They, they, they added that one. They the Spencer Dinwiddie trade was and a mostly backup made. point would be nice too. So exactly, uh, that, that's what they needed some uh, playmakers because even now they still just have two playmakers on the roster basically, and that's Dinwiddie and Doncic. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, I have a question. Go right ahead. Uh, isn't the point of potpourri for it to be a very brief explainer of certain subjects? What did you have something else you want to talk about? Uh, well, I did want to mention Liv Hovday of McKinney winning the Wimbledon girls title, but you guys keep going on Mavericks extra here. No, no, no. You golly, I think there's some bitterness there from Evan and the fact that he couldn't say anything about the Mavericks. Even if you paid more attention to the Mavericks, and you could have some of this discussion. I, 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 I tuned out the Mavericks. I'm sorry after after they were eliminated from the playoffs. I. I that was the Western league. Conference Finals, yep. so I mean, <laughs> he likes I, his team to go to the finals. Okay, no, yeah, I, I, right. I, I just couldn't get into the draft and uh, uh, summer league. I'm sorry. If we did the same thing to the Rangers, we would have dialed them out ten years ago. Oh so. my God, the Rangers would be extinct. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anything else you want to give up? Uh, give up for us? Uh, you got somebody else? Uh, I feel I wanted to give a shout out to that flower mound woman who got bit by a shark in the Keys. Yeah, you know that's, I, that's I, my that's, local sports roundup. My my kids will not go in the ocean just because of that. I said, you know, there's sharks all over the place. They're not all biting us. Okay, that's not uh, a good way to get your kids to go in the ocean <laughs> to say there's sharks all over the place. But they are. They're other. They're our friends. I'm out there petting them and stuff. You know, every once in a while they bite. Just like a dog bite. Never. That's all right. I would not go in the South Pacific Ocean when I was in Fiji for fear of the sea snake because I thought I would find a sea snake and get bitten so i'm a very <laughs> rational human when it comes to those kinds of things yeah or anything else as much as All i right. would like to explore why you went to fiji and would not go into the water we should probably wrap up this segment yeah well this <laughs> does end mutual of omaha's wild kingdom um <laughs> tune in next week when our friend kevin sherrington puts his head in the jaws of a crocodile yeah i've done that before <laughs> that's what some people say uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us, isn't it? We, we've exhausted all rational things to talk about. We've uh, talked about every one of them. Christian yeah. has never nodded so furiously in his life. Yeah, our producer. Okay, everybody, that's going to do it for us this week. We hope you can tune back with us next week when we have more animal stories uh, to tell you. And then uh, also we'll have uh, we'll know what the Rangers did in the draft, uh, and that'll be exciting to know. And then we'll welcome there so from everybody in here to everybody out there see ya say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill